I'm Eric Dye. I'm Jeremy Smith. And I'm Phil Schneider. And you're listening to the 165th Church Mag Podcast. You don't need special skills to be a mentor in any way. You, as a as a person living and breathing in, in your church or in your workplace or in your world, know things that you can pass on to other people. And sometimes you don't even know everything that you know. This week's podcast is brought to you by Jeremy's Church Tech Devotional, Rebuilding. This devotional can be done on your own or with an entire church tech team, week by week, day by day, whatever works best. This devotional is for church tech by church tech. Learn more about rebuilding on the Church Mag Press website at churchmag.press. That's churchmag.press. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest talk about mentoring. Author of several top-notch books and general awesomeness, Claire Diaz-Ortiz graciously joins us and fields questions from our very own Phil Schneider. If you'd like to join the conversation or tell us who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at churchmag or use the hashtag cmagcast. Now, let the fun begin. Welcome to another episode of the Church Mag Podcast. Eric Dye here along with Jeremy Smith and Phil Schneider. We are on the cusp of a new oh, new feel of the Church Mag Podcast, and here's why. It's real simple. Instead of recording on a Saturday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, we are recording at uh, on Tuesday evening at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Now... You wouldn't think that'd make that big of a difference, but I can already feel the air is different. And I can't but wonder if our the actual overall, I don't know, air of the podcast is going to come across a little bit different. If it's going to lose that Saturday morning pastry feel and go to more of an evening bowl of ice cream feel. I don't know. I, I think we're going to go to an evening drink to espresso feel because I... I I got this little treat at Trader Joe's a while back called uh, a Ca- Cafe Rio Coffee Candy, and I popped on those in my mouth. When I got got home and just did a little bit of uh, a little bit of bricklaying, as I told the guys off air. And then I, uh, after dinner, I downed an entire mug of French roast coffee. So I feel like I will be up again. I'll, I'll be staying awake pretty much all night. I will go to bed when President Trump starts tweeting tomorrow morning. So that's how. I'm going to be up tonight. Well, I have a cup of coffee in hand as well. And Wait, Eric, is it decaf? Is it decaf? No, it's it's regular. I don't mess around, fool. Okay, good man. Okay. Yeah. Also, I hope that laying brick isn't a euphemism for something because you just said. <laughs> no, I, was I was literally brought home 118 bricks and had to put them in my basement garage. All right, well, now that we've cleared the air on that. Jeremy. Now, to be clear, I'm still playing Minecraft, even if it's in the morning or in that Yeah, but evening. I can already hear that you have more so energy he, in your so voice. He's, he's digitally laying some brick right now. That's <laughs> not a <laughs> euphemism either. We're going to get an e-tag on this podcast. We're going to careful. I know, right? Uh, I think if we're doing the harsh truth of everything, it's really more about the fact that I don't have that early morning raspiness slash BO because I haven't showered yet. And more about that, I'm worn down because I've been dealing with clients. Okay, let's do this before I fall asleep kind of thing because I don't drink coffee after 1 p.m. And so I'm on the cusp of either side. Well, your voice does have a more boyish charm to it. I've been told that never. So I agree. Yeah. And you definitely have more energy. Like right away when, when when we got on, like Jeremy had a lot more energy. Phil seemed crankier 
But maybe that was because of the bricks. It's because the bricks. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually been a really good day today. I'm just, I'm not cranky. I'm just, I'm just weary. <laughs> My back is just killing me. And so, yeah. Well, we we flipped it so we've tran- transversed so severely. We like go from like first wake up. We've only been awake for like ten minutes, kind of podcast to you know, and when we get done, ten minutes and go to bed, kind of a thing. And so uh, it's it's a real flip. So um, it, it's fun. I mean, this is part of. Jeremy moving in time zones and and I've moved just a lot of moving in the last uh, six months that's for sure and uh, exciting times you know maybe maybe uh, by the time this airs I can I can rework the intro and outro to the podcast how exciting would that be uh, too exciting for words too exciting for words yeah too exciting for so words audience exactly. hold him to that please so you know how how right. a lot of times in our episodes I'll discuss what's happening outside my window because I have my, my neighbor will walk by randomly or a chicken will pop up my yard well now it's pitch black so all I can see are lightning bugs it's actually very poetic and just just the most beautiful display of God's creation right now I see these little lightning bugs fly by my window before you know it Phil will be humming to himself an Owl City song or something I don't know <laughs> That's a very good reference from four years ago, Eric. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> See, here's it's the slap happy. This is the, the youth group all nighter. You've you've crested midnight, and you're just everything's funny, even if it's not funny. Eric's like, what have I done? What have I done? Right, exactly. Welcome to the late night podcast. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Well, uh, all joking and kidding aside, uh, not too long ago, you fill ahead on Claire Ortet, no, Diaz Ortet. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, but when people have Just, three names, like I can see well, it in her my name's, head. Her, her name's hyphenated. So it's, it's, you know, a hyphenated name. So, okay. Claire, it's pretty simple, right? Yeah, you'd think. Yeah. Diaz Ortiz. Phil recently had on Claire Ortiz. No, Diaz Ortiz. Which is first? <laughs> it's uh, it's alphabetical. It's Diaz. I'm gonna I'm gonna type it into the chat for you. Hold on a second. It's alphabetical. It's like that's gonna help my brain. My brain is broken. Phil recently had on Claire Diaz Ortiz on hold the on, podcast. On, well, Ortiz. Excuse I'm me. In. Hold on. Okay. All right. Fifth time's charm. On which chat are you putting this in? Right there on the main uh, Hangouts video window. This is why we're never going to do it live. Or if we did do it live. Do a quick edit, they said. Or the left. Two little, in little, one this little podcast, window there. Right. The podcast, generally, after edit, editing, is anywhere between like 20, anywhere between like 20 minutes and 40 minutes-ish, right? Yeah. But the actual record file is much, much longer. Yeah. Depends yeah. how much pushback Jeremy gives mm-hmm. us. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Let's try it again here. Yeah, thank you. You see, you see it there? You find it? <laughs> also, the way you spelled Ortiz. <laughs> I'm going to try not to get it this time. Hold on. Go ahead. <laughs> Listen, you're not supposed to make fun of names. I mean, but with a guy with the last name of Die, like, I think I'm allowed some... Oh, yeah, you get some grace. Some, you get some you grace. Know. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's try this again. Not too, not too long ago... Uh, not too long ago not too long ago, Phil Schneider. Phil, I'm going to call you by your last name. I'm, just, I'm, I'm holding my face. It's, not it's going to make a great reel. This is going to make a great reel. Not too long ago, Phil had on the podcast. Well, technically not on the podcast. You recorded it separately, and now it's going to be on the podcast. But all technical jargon aside, you had on Claire Diaz Ortiz. 
and you got to interview her about what? Give us a little background. What happened? How did you land this big, awesome interview? What did you talk about? Come on, set it up for us, Phil. Well, um, I mean, how I landed it was I sent an email to the publisher and said, hey, I heard Claire Diaz-Ortiz has got a new book out, and um, I'd be interested in reading it and reviewing it for you guys. And it's uh, it's called One Minute Mentoring. The review is already posted on the website, so go check out the review. And um, by the way, if you haven't, make sure you're reading our Saturday morning reviews. Uh, there's some excellent content out there. I believe Rachel just got a, uh, a shout out on on the on the tweets on the twitter from uh, an author of a book she just reviewed so make sure you're reading those reviews they're really good stuff but anyway is it still a shout out if you don't use all uppercase uh, yeah i think it is it's more it's it's a shout out and less of a um a blare, blaringly shout out a shouting shout out yeah right so okay just wanted to can okay. we rename the podcast to dad jokes for church tech <laughs> no but we should totally do us. We'll talk, we'll talk about that off mic anyway. So it's called one minute mentoring and it's by, it's by Claire and Ken Blanchard, who's a very popular name in leadership, um, leadership circles. And I've not read um, a ton of Ken's books. I think I've read uh, a book or two by people who like work for Ken or part of Ken's organization. But I had read several of Claire's books and had actually reviewed a like, two at once earlier in the year. And I thought this is, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in mentoring. I know Claire is a good writer. I'm, um, I've heard good things about Ken. I want to read this book. So I asked for a review copy. They sent, they're very happy to send it, read it, loved it. It's a very quick book, like 130 pages. And it's written in a, like a, like a narrative format. It's like a, so it's a fictional story that gives you the, the pointers, the tips about mentoring. Okay. Okay. So it's not your tip. So just to be clear and to point out, I think this is important. Yeah. Um, is the fact that it's not a dry how-to book. No, it's, it's in, not. It's in fictional form. It's entertaining, yeah. you know, so you're kind of getting it both. That's great. To be honest, I don't usually care for that, but this was very good. This was well done. It was, because um, since I picked up and started reading, like, oh, they're going to, they're telling, it's a, it's a leadership parable. I was kind of bummed. But after I got, after like the first like three or four pages ago, this is actually very well written. And while it's not like a gripping novel or you're not, you're like, it's, you're not going to watch this, you know, six installments on BBC here in America, but it was a really good, uh, story and a good vehicle for explaining how mentorship works. So uh, along with that, I got a chance to interview Claire and talk to her about the book. And she had some great insight on mentoring in general and also mentoring in the church. Um, and I don't, I don't give too much of it away, but she really, I think, um, answers a lot of questions people might have or not my questions but perhaps um uh obstacles and what people's way i guess as far as considering how mentoring might look for them and for their ministry but also claire's been a um she's what what she might have considered a few years ago to be like the poster child for for hustle okay for getting you know getting things done and and working real hard and whatnot but in the past few months she's really come out against the idea of of hustling and actually i think we've said the same thing over the past course course the past year so i asked her a little bit about that too and she had a lot of great insight on that topic um it's a she's a very successful person and she's 30 she's, she's like a year older than me so she's like 34 years old has done a ton with her life and is from her vantage point having been very successful she was one of the early employee employees at twitter very accessible person in the tech tech you know world and she says slow down so i, I thought that was very important for um um message to get out as well along with the, uh, the topic of mentoring that's excellent that's excellent now when you went into this interview i mean were you nervous i know they can be I was super nervous because, okay, so I, I interviewed Kevin Kelly and Carrie Newhoff, right? And they're both like, they're, they're mature gentlemen. They're, you're, they're, you're, you're getting good at this, Phil. I mean, you're, you're starting to be able to name drop 
like like machine gun style, like bam, 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 bam. Listen to the audio, Eric, and get back to me about how good I am at interviewing people. <laughs> but uh, you know, they're they're like really accomplished guys who are I don't want to say at the end of their career, but any stretch, stretch of imagination. But they like they've had a long career behind them, right? And then there's Claire, and Claire is a very accomplished leader and writer and thinker, and is literally like a year older than me. And I'm I'm talking to her and thinking, you are incredibly successful, incredibly smart who am i to be talking to you so it was it was but she was she was a great uh, person to talk to it was actually the first two minutes were super awkward because the audio was not working and i was just panicking but eventually it worked out and she was just had a lot of great thoughts and uh, it was actually hilarious so i we ended up finishing the interview and i actually had something somewhere to go at 10 o'clock that morning so we, we interviewed it early in the morning around 8 eight thirty, and as soon as uh we got off i jumped on twitter just to just to kill like you know, 15 minutes before I had to go somewhere. And I see that she had just got on, on back on Twitter and was watching the Senate um, hearing for James Comey. And I thought, how ironic, because um, that's why I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter to find out what's going on in the Senate. So it was just a pretty funny moment there. But she was just, um, had, had, I was asking questions. I was like, I was worried, like, is this question stupid? You know, but she had an answer for everything and not in the, you know, have I got an answer for everything kind of way, but literally had a thoughtful response to every question I asked. So you can't, I don't know how good I was, but she was on her, on her, on, on her game. That's awesome. Uh, Jeremy, did you have anything? For I would, it would be interesting. I don't know if you got into this. Did you apply it to the church much or was it just simply from her perspective as far as, um, entering in general well i mean she uh claire uh, i believe she is a christian and i don't want to get too much into that because that's not really what she does she doesn't yeah it's it's funny how we talk to christians sometimes who were like um big in, in culture in area, other areas or they're thinkers and leaders in other fields and we say no, no, what are your thoughts on transubstantiation and the, the atonement theories and they're like i have no flipping idea man right. i'm gonna i'm an economist or you know it's like you know let, let them be what they what they are right so i didn't want to get into too much because she's not a church tech by stretch of imagination, but she does. She has worked in technology, and she she is a a, a leader in the the business and the, in the thought world. So I I tried asking her some questions uh, that would apply to the church as well, and she had some thoughts on that on that topic. But uh, we weren't talking about how to how to you know better improve your your slides on a Sunday worship you know s- scenario. But she did have some thoughts for uh, for the church in general. Uh, it could be applied to any organization, but I think that sometimes the church does a disservice in saying, "Well, that's too general of information." That could, that could work for any business, but yeah, but it also could work for the church too. And the only reason I ask that is because with church tech, we obviously have discipleship in mentoring in general is a key part of our faith. I mean, without mentoring, the church is going to crash and burn and go away. And then end times, yay, all that stuff. Um, but I think that with church tech, we have all these abilities to do, mentorship in a completely different way in the sense of following everything that someone says on Twitter and be like, Hey, why did you say this? Or um, even though Saturday you're off doing that thing, we still have Google Hangouts and we can do this mentoring to master classes and your mentorship doesn't have to be someone in the same state as you right. permanently. We have this dialogue here, which is not mentorship by any means, but is a friendship beyond just a typical online friendship. And I think right. that's interesting as well. And, it would just be interesting of how could mentorship happen within church tech that could be very feasible and life-giving. 
Yeah, she makes some great points about what mentorship is and what it isn't. And so in your examples you just gave there, you gave one example of what would not be mentorship and one example of what would be mentorship. And so I think that's a good point. You know, if, if you have any thoughts about coaching, mentorship, intergenerational discipleship, then this is definitely a book you want to get um, and look at because it's, it's a very short read and it will quickly explain to you what mentorship is and is not. And I think it's a... And I think we, we muddle the money, the waters when we throw in discipleship elements in there, in there as well. But now those can all be interrelated and they all can, they could all definitely work together, but they're all three distinct things. If you are so, okay. I know a lot of our audiences, church text, sometimes you're pastor, sometimes you're not. If you've got a pastor or a lay leader who's in charge of volunteering, I would definitely have them read this book. And here's why. So many times in the church, we put someone in a volunteering position and let's leave them there forever. Whereas as with a mentoring, um, a more mentoring focused mindset, uh, a, a lay leader or a, a pastor in charge of the lady could be very equipped to help people find their best place of service for that time in, or season in their life. And that I think would be would be much better for the church and much better for volunteering overall, so that people could um, serve in their best capacity in that moment, rather than getting burned out by serving in one area over and over and over again. Even though they've lost the passion, they've lost the love. There you go. Phil said it. That's that. Do what he says. All right. Phil said it. Now do it. Make it so. <laughs> and and how you've outlined it and set it up, talking about the fact that you know it's it's done in story form and it's not a long read. It, those are some things that uh, certainly have piqued my interest. So I'm going to probably be sure to pick that up as well. It sounds like a very interesting book, and I imagine by the time we're done listening to this interview, I'm going to even be more interested in this book. Let's uh, take a listen, I guess, huh? <laughs> I've read actually a few of your books, uh, and I saw you know, a new one coming out, and I thought, I think it's a good book that would encourage a lot of conversations with, um, with church volunteers and how to, like, how to engage each other um, outside of just the day-in, day-out, like volunteering at church, and actually work towards team building, but also like, hey, you do this one thing for the church. You've been pegged in this one hole. Is this what you actually want to do? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But also, actual value added to life. So, um, if you could, in your own words real quick, just for the the general listener, how would you summarize uh, the book? Sure. So, One Minute Mentoring, you know, is really a book about figuring out why mentoring matters so much and figuring out a way to find a great mentor or be a great mentor. And, you know, when when we were kind of, when Ken and I were, were thinking about this book and sort of building building out what it would look like, we really kind of came to this realization that the best mentoring relationships are really two-way relationships. And I think that is probably the the biggest message about mentoring that we, we can and do extend in the book. So that, when I read the book, that was something I hadn't thought of myself. So what do you mean by a two-way mentoring relationship? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of times people think of mentoring as, as just something you do if you want to learn something, right? We think of mentoring as, oh, I want a mentor. And then maybe on on the other hand, we sometimes think of us being a mentor to people, right? I think a, a typical type of mentoring relationship that that people are familiar with when they think of mentoring others is sort of the, the adolescent adult mentoring relationship, right? Where you might help a teen through like a big brother's big sister's program or through a church program, for example. And in reality, what we came to see is sort of doing the research and then going about the process of writing the book was that the best mentoring relationships are really give and take relationships throughout the partnership. And sometimes you you are really aware that that give and take is happening, and and sometimes it, it takes a little bit of of prodding to to realize 
um, to realize really what you have sort of on your hands. Okay. I mean, I, I felt like that was a really, um, unique perspective in the book because yeah, I've, I've done some work, um, work with mentoring, or I should say I've, I've been encouraged in other environments to, you know, to mentor someone to be mentored. And it's usually seen as a, a one way street, you know, give the experience you have, share the information and knowledge you have. And there's not much talk, talks about how you will benefit from mentoring someone else as well. I know that's a pretty unique perspective in the book. Um, I, I think I know the answer to this, but how, who did you write this book for? Who are you encouraging to mentor? Well, we're really encouraging anyone to mentor, but I think for the most part, you know, the book is really really targeted to people who already have an interest in mentoring and have this sort of, you know, idea that, hey, maybe mentoring could be something that could work for me, but are maybe concerned, it sounds like too big of a project or not really sure how to how to go about getting started. So if someone was listening who had never thought about mentoring, what would you how would you encourage them or, or what would you say to make them realize that perhaps they should give mentoring another look? So I think one of the big things that I would say is, you know, this idea that mentoring is is a huge project that's going to be one more drain on your on your time and your resources is really not true. You know, one of the things that I think is most exciting about mentoring is that because it really is in its best form this two-way street, you you will be energized by the process. And you know, I say that as as long as you're in a, a positive mentoring relationship, the type of mentoring relationship we we teach you to build in one minute mentoring. But you know, the real idea is is that whether you are a mentor or a mentee, if you're in a good mentoring relationship, this will be a relationship that will, you know, energize you and and drive you to to make better decisions and and do better in in the the life you lead. Okay. Um, so in the book, uh, you present the story of um, uh, an established you know um, executive and a, a young salesman. Tr- you know, both sorting out their their career prospects and their and their career hopes and aspirations. I was interested in how the dynamic of this. Uh, older person, younger person, and the interplay of like technology and their mentoring experience. How do you think technology is going to uh, reshape how mentoring you know, um, progresses in the 21st century? Sure. Well, I think this is one of the first things that you know Ken and I started talking about when we started our mentoring relationship was this idea that you know we have this 40-year age gap between us. And you know I come from this background of, of working in technology for a number of years in Silicon Valley. And I'm you know, a, a kind of digital native. I love you know the way the internet has has shaped us and helped us to to market better and to live better and so one of the things that you know Ken and I really talked about early on was this idea that you know mentoring um, when when he sort of got started and had some of his best early mentoring experiences was something that always had to happen in person right so it was all about having a breakfast meeting or a lunch meeting or meeting for coffee and in reality in this day and age especially given the fact that so many of the people you you might work with or might mentor don't even live anywhere near you you know mentoring can absolutely be a wonderful experience to do remotely. And so, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is we walk through basically a process of kind of a six-step model for building a positive mentoring relationship. And one of the key steps in that is is making sure that you are having basically regular engagement with your mentor and mentee and setting up a process so that, you know, you are making 
making sure you're having regular meetings and such that it becomes a habit and and something you guys um, can can make happen without too much effort. And you know, one of the big keys of that is remembering that you know something like a regular meeting absolutely does not have to happen in person. It's all about the way you and your mentor or mentee best communicate. So maybe maybe that is in person. Maybe it's on Skype. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's texting. Maybe it's emailing. But really figuring out a way to be regularly engaged with one another in a way that works for your personalities. I, I like how that uh, it it validates the the um, the worth of you know, our twenty first century social media and technological you know uh, relationships. Like I've got I've got friends and, and contacts whom I've never met in real life, and I think that, that that this approach to mentoring kind of validates that you can have a meaningful and productive relationship without actually having to, to meet in a physical space. Um, do you think that will become more the norm in these kind of relationships? As we move I forward. think it may. You know, I am a I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of sort of internet friends as well, um, as I call them. You know, I think sometimes people are are too quick to say, you know, there's your real life and there's your online life. When I think in reality, you know, in this day and age, especially when you live far away, like I do, I live overseas, um, so I live far away from many of the people that I work with or grew up with in the U.S. Uh, this this new way of connecting really can work to build healthy, positive relationships. And I, I think it may be some of the, the wave of the future. I don't think that takes away one-on-one in-person connections. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I always say in, in mentoring or in business or just in life is that it's great to have a relationship, you know, that happens virtually. But I think it's it's even better if on occasion you can you can be with that person in real life because that helps, that helps to um, solidify that relationship relationship and sort of set the stage for, you know, the, the future virtual connections. That makes, makes perfect sense. So as I said before, um, our podcast is kind of tailored to um, working with folks in, in ministry who, especially those who deal with technology. And um, I mean, a little bit about myself, I, I work a, part-time as a minister, but when I was younger, I was um, plugged into working with our, our church technology team and doing sound and whatnot. And I had a gentleman come alongside me and help. I, I, I think mentoring might be too, might put too much of an organized you know term onto what happened but kind of mm-hmm. walking me through the process helping me see things i'm and i'm pretty well convinced that that's part of what helped keep me you know engaged in church uh, even through my teens my college years mm-hmm. so uh, if you were if, if you were to ex- present this book and this concept of mentoring to a, a bunch of volunteers who don't want one more thing to do especially outside of their normal volunteering hours how would you communicate the value of this you think i think that one of the things i would particularly say to a lot of church leaders and people who work within the church is is that you know mentoring may be something to some extent that you're already doing in some way which is something that you know I I really came to discover throughout the process of writing this book you know there are lots of people that are engaged in sort of quasi mentoring relationships already in their lives. And so just sort of understanding how the format of a great mentoring relationship can be can help them sort of transform these relationships where they're maybe, you know, engaging in some back and forth and some learning into something a bit more formalized that can kind of take it to the next level and, and give them even even greater insight. So I think that would be, you know, if, if you're worried about taking on one more thing, one of the first steps would be sort of looking around and saying, hey, am I already in some ways almost engaged in a mentoring relationship with someone. And if I am, how could we transform that to formalize it a little bit more to, to encourage each of us to get more out of it. Makes perfect sense to me. Um, 
Okay, so in the book, this is a very this is a great point that I really benefited from the book. I've heard a lot about coaching, and in the book, you guys go I think two or three times I mentioned there's a, a very important distinction between coaching and mentoring. Can you explain that for us? Sure. So I mean, some people might have different definitions of what that is, but you know, I think what what we came to believe is this idea that you know, coaching is different than mentoring, and mentoring is also different than you know, a therapy and other types of relationships. But the main difference between coaching and mentoring is that coaching is typically about working on or working through a specific problem, uh, usually with some type of goal of increased performance, if that makes sense, right, as, as you define performance. In contrast, mentoring is really more holistic. Now, that doesn't mean that mentoring can't happen within spheres of your life. You could have a life mentor or a business mentor, say, but those are still pretty, pretty big, pretty big categories, right? And in contrast, coaching is is really more specific and also very, very performance based. Whereas, whereas mentoring is maybe more about figuring out what are the right steps in a specific area of your life or in a broader area. So, whereas a coaching might want to produce some sort of tangible results, uh, mentoring is more about. Um, I'm thinking for a good word here, like producing a level of, of, of comfort or um, uh, confidence in the person who's being mentored. Absolutely. I mean, like, a typical example okay. might be, you know, I might want a coach to improve my public speaking abilities, um, whereas I might want a mentor to help walk me through, you know, the next stage in my marriage, okay. say. Uh, and that's a, that's, that's a great example there. So it, for you, like mentoring can take place in, in any sphere. So like if you are um, in a, I don't want to say rough spot or perhaps just a, a, maybe a point of listlessness in your marriage or in any relationship, that's a place where a mentor could come in and could help you find direction. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, the the key, and this is one of the things we walk through in the book, is we walk through basically a six-step process. And the first step in that is developing a mission statement. And, you know, this this sounds perhaps maybe too formal and kind of scary sometimes, but it, it's really not. It's just about a simple statement of, you know, where are we going with this partnership? What are we, you know, here to, to learn from one another about? And in that mission statement, I think it's important to clarify, you know, if you're talking about a specific sphere, if, if that's what you want the mentoring partnership to really focus on, or if you want it to be broader, right? So in the example of marriage, I could have a mentor that I think would be particularly skilled to to help me think about issues in my marriage or improve my marriage, and that would be part of our mission statement, right? In contrast, if I wanted sort of a broader life mentor, say, uh, I might craft a mission statement that has something to do with, you know, me uh, maybe maybe figuring out where I want to go in this in this next stage of my life, say. Okay. Do you, so you could have theoretically kind of a, a small cadre of mentors in different areas of your life. Or perhaps at different times. That, that, that's, that's part of it? Yes. So you absolutely could have you know, a, a small cadre of mentors at the same time. But I think probably what's more realistic is what you're talking about at different stages of your life. And this is one of the things that um, we we bring up in the book. There's this moment where, you know, the the mentor and the mentee are, are not sure if they should really, you know, continue. Should they renew their mentoring partnership for another year? What should they be doing? And this is kind of one of the questions that comes up a lot when people hear about mentoring. You know, they say, okay, am I, you know, am I signing on for life? Am I signing on for a month? What's the deal here, right? And that timeline is really up to you and your mentor and mentee. And, and that projected or, you know, ideal timeline should be put out at the beginning, but put forth 
with at the beginning, but really then figuring out how long you want to keep the mentoring relationship is is something that you need to see as you go. But I think what's really important is realizing that, you know, when you think you come to the end of a particular life cycle with your mentor or mentee, you don't have to, you know, go and break up with them. The whole idea is that having a great mentor or mentee is someone who is who can be in your back pocket for, for further down the line, right? So I might have a great mentor for a couple years and then and then think, hey, you know, maybe it's time for me to, you know, move on to a different season with someone else. But then I always have this great resource um, resource that I can call on. Yeah. And that's really the ideal. I think you presented that well in the book. Um, that was a great, this dynamic, you had this active mentoring relationship and the, um, the mentor was constantly contacting, you know, her old mentor to kind of bounce things off of, even though they weren't, they weren't actively mentoring each other. She was constantly turning back to him for, for continued advice and support. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so w- would you recommend someone mentoring if they've never been mentored before? Is it a, a learn on the job situation or do you think they should try and be mentored first before they engage in mentoring? No, I think it's absolutely a learn on the job situation. I think one of the key, key things is realizing that, you know, you don't need special skills to be a mentor in any way. You as a as a person living and breathing in, in your church or in your workplace or in your world, know things that you can pass on to other people. And sometimes you don't even know every Everything that you know, so I think it's absolutely valuable to to be uh, to start as as a mentor, not necessarily start as a mentee, right? And this also brings up the idea that you can be a mentor at, at many many different stages of your life. And this is why I think the perfect relationship is really sort of goes in two directions, right? I can learn from a young person uh, who might be a mentee of mine in the same way that he or she can mm-hmm. learn from me. Yeah, I've used this. I, I don't tell me if this makes sense. If this, if this, if this sounds like sounds about right, but I've used this kind of comparison before that oftentimes people think their job is to inspire instruct others uh, with like a given set of you know facts and things to do when in reality the best thing to do is to impart personal experience and wisdom rather than just instruct abstract facts or uh, concrete facts absolutely and I think this really gets back to the idea that you know imparting wisdom is something that then becomes sort of a conversation that can be a two-way conversation uh, you know the the idea of having a, a mentor that just tells you what to do is is not only um, less sort of sustainable, but probably less appealing to a lot of people. This is about building, you know, a long-term relationship that you can give and yeah. take. From. I don't want to go too far afield here, but do you think that uh, a lack of mentoring is part of the issues we've seen in culture of late, where there's this large ideological divide between, you know, the older generations, and younger generations, there's no like mentoring bridges. You think it's part of the problem? Yeah. I mean, I think there are sort of two things I'd say on this, you know, I think there is, um, on the on the one side, we have this, you know, a sad reality that you've got a lot of young people, and you know, I'm a young person in my mid thirties who sort of think they know everything and and feel like they don't need a mentor at times. So that's very problematic. And then on the other side, you've got this other issue where you have, you know, the the largest transition of baby boomer boomers heading into retirement. And think of all the knowledge that is being left on the table, right? So you're seeing something that is really positive in workplaces these days where you're seeing basically in the sort of nearing retirement stage – 
people who are, you know, then offering their skills to people just entering the workplace to to be mentors. And that's something that's really, really great in terms of knowledge mm-hmm. transfer. So I don't want to go too far off topic because we're talking about your book here, but uh, uh, you've uh, done a lot of writing lately on, uh, not like on like the, the what's wrong with uh, quote unquote hustling, mm-hmm. uh, but about some negative impacts of that. We've, we've actually done a lot of talk, had a lot of talk about that recently on our podcast. You know, wh- what, uh, What's changed your mind about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've spent a lot of a lot of my life um, hustling and then sort of recovering from the consequences of that. And I think at some point, I've just sort of realized, man, I, I got to stop kind of getting out of this cycle, right? And I think it's a really common cycle, this period of working really hard and working too hard and then needing needing time to sort of recover from that. And I think that um, many of us have seen this kind of pattern all around us. You know, I read blogs where I will read about a someone, someone you know, wanting to to basically not blog for a year because they need time off, or you know, someone saying they just needed to to cut back and scale back, and you know, that's why they're you know quitting their job or something for a six month period, and all these types of sort of radical moves that have to happen to get people kind of back to center, right? And I think that one of the things we can be doing is we, if we want to try to avoid having to make a, a radical readjustment is to try to live kind of slower in, in our daily lives as they are. And one of the ways to do that, of course, is to kind of ban this idea of, of hustle, um, or, or at least understand that with every hustle should come kind of a period of flow or a period of slow. Right, that makes sense. I mean, it's. I, I wonder sometimes if because yeah, I mean, I I was <laughs> I looked you up a little bit before you know to interview, obviously, and you're like w- one year older than me. And I wonder sometimes if our generation would have perhaps avoided this you know negative negative reaction to hustling had we uh, had better connection you know through mentoring to an, an older person to say, hey, work hard, but you have to balance that with rest. I, I think that's a really good point, and I think that might be exactly spot on because I think you know part of this idea of hustling comes from this idea that we we can do anything, we are invincible, right? And and we will be the first to prove prove the world wrong that you know all you know all those that say this can't be done, no, no, we will show, and and then we burn out. Um, and I think having a having a guide to really help you along the way is is incredibly. Um, valuable in terms of that. I, I just, on a very personal level, I went through, I have newborn, um, well, they're six months old now, twins. And I went through a very complicated twin pregnancy last year. And, you know, one of the kind of best pieces of advice I got from, you know, women who'd gone before me were, was just this idea of not trying to do too much during this, you know, period of, of difficult, basically health. And it was fascinating to me how I would hear that advice, but I would still want to push back on it. But it was really that advice that um, that that you know was able to to guide me into a place where my my kids were born. Okay, yeah. I mean that's and I think it's that's the it's 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 weird. That's the mature and responsible thing to do. But we're almost conditioned by our peer group and by culture to to you know the, the good ones play hurt. You know, mm-hmm. my wife had a major surgery two years ago and w- tried to go back to work three weeks later. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was hard. To, I'm like, yeah, I don't think you should do this. But it was hard to, for me to tell her no because I didn't want to. I, you know, some people need to do something. You know, as part of the recovery. I don't think that was necessarily what she should have been doing. But we didn't. We didn't really realize how how bad a mistake that was until about six months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it's where we are in our culture where we're we're conditioned to to keep going no matter what. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, yes, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, okay, so we've just talked about how we should not be hustling. We should take time for rest and, and whatnot. And you just put out this new book. But uh, just before we close out here, is there anything else coming out of the pipeline from you that we, uh, our listeners should be watching for? You know, one of the things, going back to this whole idea of not hustling, one of the, the big things that I'm really passionate about this these days is really helping people to figure out kind of a work life that that is balanced. And so one of the ways I do that is I, I have a, a course called Work by design school that we open a few times a year and that's really something that I'm I'm super passionate about these days simply because I think that more of us need to figure out a a life that um, that flows and um, a life where where we can work um, not like crazy but work by design work the way that we 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 were meant to and and the way that we can um, most do sustainably for a long time okay I, I think I, that makes perfect sense. So that's that's a uh, a, a seasonal class, or it's like, it's like a, every so often you open that, that course up. Okay, mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Um, thanks for putting out good material and um, and for you know and for sharing your expertise and your wisdom and what you know your experiences with uh, with the internet. Send us an email, subscribe, and search for previous episodes of the Church Mag Podcast by visiting Church Mag. You'll find a link on the main menu. Go to churchm.ag. That's Church Mag, churchm.ag. Be sure to tell your friends about Church Mag, and we always, always love iTunes reviews. Until next week. It's a new era of the Church Mag Podcast because from going from a Saturday morning breakfast feel, it's going to go to a Tuesday Evening through the evening slap yeah. happiness. Got nothing to say about that, Phil? Couldn't think of a joke. The Church Mag Podcast is proudly hosted on Buzzsprout.com. <laughs>